0: Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus which is an all access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts Every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education. And our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interviewed to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. This is episode number 431 with Alex Boazis of The Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now, 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. Alex Boazis is the co-founder and CEO of Deal, an international payroll, compliance and HR solution. Deal launched in 2019 and by May 2020 raised $14 million in funding. Alex's mission is to match talented workers with employers from anywhere in the world and give them the opportunity to work for the best companies in the world without having to relocate. This company is one of the fastest growing companies that's gone from zero to 100 million ARR in just a couple of years. Please welcome to the podcast, Alex Bawazis. Hey Founder fam, before we jump into today's conversation, I'd love to take a minute to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Sales Master AI. When iOS 14 hit, a lot of us didn't really know how to respond, and at Founder, Part of our response has been turning to trusted experts like SMAI to lead the way forward. SMAI has really helped us drive the performance of our cost per acquisition to really acquire customers on Facebook. So do you want your ads to work better? Then if so, salesmaster.ai can help your business engage more buyers automatically using AI that places your ads in real time in front of audiences most likely to convert. So you can really increase the performance post iOS 15 and take the guesswork out of growth. Head to the link in our show notes to learn more now. Okay, now on to today's episode. The first question we ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? AKA, how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today?
1: Um, so I guess if you go back a little bit, I'm from Paris originally and lived in lots of different countries. So I had the chance to meet a lot of amazing people throughout my life and career. And after realizing, and I guess you know, we have an hour, so we can dive into that later. But after realizing I would uh, not be very fun, uh, a very fun employee, uh, I had no other choice but to start my own business. Um, and my experience kind of showed me that uh, there's amazing people everywhere, but not everybody has the same opportunities. Where you come from really does impact you, the chances that you might have in life, and that that's not really fair. Uh, you know, I always lived in a world where you know it's a meritocratic word right like based on who you are what you can do you should have the best opportunities and just maybe not being born in the right country should not be the reason why you don't get to work for the best companies in the world and have the best potential life and career so thought that we could solve that and um eventually that led to creating them and what it is today
0: (laughs) yeah awesome and uh you know we're as i said offline we're a user we're a fan of the product Uh, We use it to to power our teams. Um, I'm curious, when it comes to your first business, what was that business and what did you learn through that journey?
1: Yeah, well first, thank you for being a customer. (laughs) We appreciate this and uh, if you ever need anything, just send me a note anytime. Um, so you know i'm a am kind of an entrepreneur at heart. I come from an entrepreneurial family as well. So I um, always wanted to build companies and build products. And uh, so you know, when you say your first product, there's a couple, right? Like I first built my first very not successful <clears throat> pitch deck and beginning of an idea in what I was at school with a friend of mine. And I guess, you know the problem there was that, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it never went anywhere because we never really pushed for it. So that's not really a story, but that was like the first entrepreneurial endeavor I kind of had in 2014, I think, uh, out of school. <clears throat> the first company I started officially was a bit later. And that was a continuation of Deal Today, I guess, because um, a couple of the people that are even here today were, were part of that first journey. Um, so it was always about creating this idea of bridging people together, maybe not for work and for building teams at the time, but it was a bit more of a consumer product. So, you know, I felt videos and connecting people through videos was something very interesting. Um, And basically start a company that enables you to literally just create videos together. So like think of TikTok or whatever it is, like TikTok or thriller. But with the concept of hey, I'm creating content, someone else can join me and create more content and bridging and connecting people globally. Uh and I guess uh yeah I'm don't think I'm that great at consumer businesses. That's the uh, that's the, the conclusion I got
0: from that journey to be honest. And when did you start that business? What was it? What happened?
1: Um started it I believe in 2017, I'm not too sure, time is kind of fuzzy now, but in 2017, that was my first ever product that I actually worked on and built. And basically just, uh, you know, tried to build the product and made the basic mistake that every single entrepreneur does, like build the product for a year and a half and didn't really launch it, didn't put it in the hands of anyone, didn't learn from my customers and my users, worked in an industry that I didn't know very much. Like I, I, I realized later on, I'm not the biggest fan per se of videos. I'm a bit more of the photo generation, but at the time, you know, I thought it was uh, a very cool idea and I I didn't realize the general infrastructure that a consumer business like this one would require, or even like the the importance of understanding you go to market or even my, my own skill set, which lies a little more into B2B sales rather than you know, building consumer products and finding growth tools and growth hacking uh, within a platform. So having the combination of all of this together made me realize after sitting on a product for a year and a half and always thinking, oh, but if I add that feature, then it's going to work, right? Like every everyone that builds a product always thinks, oh, if I add that feature, it's going to work. The reality is What I've learned is that it's not about the one more feature. It's about the iteration through the product, right? Like how fast can you move on that? Um, So eventually just, you know, realize that uh, after a year and a half plus and no real engagement and the different core metrics that you look at for a consumer business they just weren't there, right? Like realize that I was lying to myself, which is actually like the biggest risk, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs is when you try to convince yourself that you're doing the right thing, but you're probably not. And that's when we started moving towards different things. Um, And yeah, happy to dive into those as well.
0: Yeah. So is this, uh, did you start this product with your now co-founder of Deal Shao?
1: So no, Shao and I, uh, so no, we did not. We started deal in 2018, 19. Um, I just did, I did have a couple of my early team members that joined me in the deal journey later on.
0: Got you. And now I read that this is the literally the fastest growing business to get to a hundred million ARR, uh, how long did that take you with Deal?
1: Yeah, a couple of people are trying to compete that now, but uh, we, it took us about 20 months from 1 million to 100 million in AR. So yeah, it's been a crazy ride.
0: Yeah, wow. So can you take us back to the early journey of, of Deal, how it all started? Um, you know, what was the time between ideation to launch? Because this is quite a complex product when you deal with so many different laws and regulations across the world in different countries?
1: Yeah, of course. So <clears throat> Shre and I started thinking about DIL um, end of 2018, early 2019. Uh, and we, you know, f- with an idea we got into, we got funded by Y Combinator, uh, which is a tech program in the Bay Area that, you know, enables you for three months to really like bubble yourself up into into San Francisco at the time right now it's fully remote and just work really hard on the metrics what the business is what it's going to be the storytelling and you know we we kind of came in with an early idea of uh, we thought at the beginning that you know the mission which of deal which is helping you know people hire globally we thought it was more about the payments part rather than the compliance part. At least we thought the first part of the product that was important was there. Then we iterated for the program on this product and we launched with that in April, 2019. Uh, and, And you know, the concept was, the early concept was based on a very simple idea, but that resonated with a lot of our customers, which is I'm a company, I wanna work with person A, right? Person and person B and person C let's say a person A, B, and C are living in different countries or in different places, like work in different types of jobs, they don't per se want to get paid the exact same way. And at the same time, let's say I'm a US business, I'm an Australian business, I don't want to pay um, the same way either. So the first, first product that we launched was around, hey, Companies pay however you want, and then we'll let your workers get paid however they want, whatever is more convenient for them. And that was like the first big feature of Dill. And then as we grew, right, like when we started moving out of White in April two thousand nineteen and started building, that's when we realized sure payment is a big piece of the puzzle, and we need to do much better at it, and we need to scale it. But compliance, right? The idea that if you want to work with someone in, in you're in Australia, you want to work with someone in Japan, the fact that you don't understand their labor laws, the fact that you don't have the infrastructure to work with them compliantly, was the second big part of things. So we didn't come out with the product straight away with like everything we wanted it to be. And, you know, a three-month-old company can't really go and see a big company and say, I'm going to teach you how to do global compliance, right? That that doesn't usually work. Uh, but, you know, the you know, it was a very iterative process, right? So for the first year of the business, we just were heads down, you know layering things that made sense and you know the different pieces to the puzzle that eventually led to the con you know the product that it is today um and yeah that was kind of like the first part of deal I, okay i can go on i don't know if you have any questions on that part no
0: no please keep going
1: yeah of course so i uh, layered that part in and then 2020 that's when we raised our series a and i think like the important part was throughout that year we were very very focused on Uh, growth, right? So everything for us was about making sure that while we build, because, you know, you need the right infrastructure for the type of business that we do, and you need to make sure that you build everything in a way that's compliant and that's going to enable other companies to be compliant and supporting hundreds of millions of payments every week, right? Every month as well. Right? So building that infrastructure, we're still very focused on so that we don't make the first mistake I made, right? In the first product, are we growing, right? Are people happy? Are they using the product? Uh, and being very, very close to our customers so that every single part of the product we build makes them happy and is in the continuation of what they're gonna need through their life cycle as a company. Um, So March 2020, we raised our Series A, September 2020, we raised our Series B. I mean, I can go on fundraising, (laughs) I guess, uh, April 2021, our Series C, and October 2021, our Series D, so about 600 something million dollars in funding um and you know we kind of iterated for the product and the team i guess to give you a benchmark uh you know in january 2021 we were 50 people today we're 1,300 people and like you said right we grew from 1 million in revenue to over 100 plus million dollar in revenue today
0: yeah wow that's crazy so i'd love to delve a little bit deeper on the original version of the product and as it's iterated um Obviously, things have got much more complex uh, because the problem you're solving around compliance, not just payments, is much more complex. How did you retain the original vision?
1: Yeah, so so if you break it down a bit further, we started with one type of worker. So we wanted to enable you to work with someone working in another country as an independent contractor. And we did all of the puzzle for that. And eventually our customers came to see us and say, hey, but that person should really be an employee, given the type of work that they're doing for us, the type of hours they're doing for us. And that's when we started saying, hey, so maybe we can spun up another part of the business another piece of the puzzle right which is that, that employer of record model so we have over 90 plus entities of our own today where we employ people on your behalf right so if you don't have an entity in japan we do and we'll employ them and give them all the right benefits and the right infrastructure employment contracts and run payroll for them every month so it was a very natural continuation right from independent contractors to another type of workers and recently even coming up with a new product which is a global payroll product which is but eventually you want to open your own business you want to have your own entity but how do you manage your own entity in the local market and how do you make sure that you're compliant and you're running payroll globally right and if you think about it it can there's a, this kind of like the same life cycle i was telling you about right the idea that you're going to have a different type of workforce some people are going to be contractors some people are going to be employees some people are going to be employees but you don't have the infrastructure right so bridging all of this together felt very natural right and it felt very tied to the the core of the vision which is i want to enable you to hire anyone anywhere it doesn't matter at least it it matters to you right like what is the right framework for us we just want you to have everything right we want you to be able to go left if you need to or go right if you need to
0: so the first version of the product was payments what did the team look like in that in those early days because so you went to Y Combinator pre that first version of the product or you, you went to Y Combinator with that first version?
1: We went to YC with a very, very basic version of the product. Um, Pre-customer? Quite different, um, not like a couple of people. And we were very, at the time, we thought the, the best way to pay people, still kind of think so, but at the time, we found the best way to pay people was crypto. So we only had crypto payments at the time. Um, and then it, it evolved really fast because crypto payments just wasn't popular enough for it to really work. Um, it was a very small team. So it was me and Shuo. And then we had, um, you know, three engineers and one person on content marketing. Uh, and that team actually was more or less the team plus one more person that we had until 2021 almost. Um, so very small team, um, main engineering focus. And Shuo and I are both engineers. So you know, we, we actually both met in engineering school as well. So kind of bridging that uh, sales slash engineering product background into into shaping the product to what we, what we thought customers wanted and eventually listening to them into building what they want.
0: Got you. So when you look back to the early days, what do you think that you guys got really, really right to really enable that level of scale growth? Like you've obviously nailed product market fit. Um, what were the foundations that were formed that you got really right? I mean,
1: really right is a strong statement, uh, but I think I think there's a few things. I think Shua and I are very customer-centric, and uh, you know one of our key company value is deal speed, uh, which is the idea of moving really fast. And what we mean by that is it's on all fronts, but specifically when it comes to customer. Right, your customers need something. Your customers have an issue with the platform. Um, you know, be there and solve that within the next 30, 30 minutes, one hour, as fast as you can for them. That's something that we did really, really right. Because one, it helps us iterate really fast for our customers. Second, it helped with word of mouth, right? Because if you're doing a really good job and you're there for your customers and, you know, Shu and I were the main people on support until, I think probably like, end of 2021, right? We were the one doing ticketing and support, right? It just shows care and it shows that the product is evolving and you can lead by example, which makes the whole company customer centric. And I think that that was one of the things we did really right. And that um, really helped us shape the culture from the very beginning, uh, move fast and be customer centric and make sure that your customers are always happy to the point where today, you know, we have a channel, we use Slack for communication and we have a channel where when something, when a customer is unhappy, like, we literally have C-levels plus customer support plus the right people. So that anytime we see someone, you know, because as you scale, you have a lot of customers. You, it's hard to, to keep things at the level that you want it to be. We, we want to make that the center of the business, right? like, we deal with payroll. We deal with payments. People need to pay rent. People are employed through the platform, right? Like, we need to be on top of that. And I think it's actually one of the differentiators of till today. Um, so that was one of the key things. And the second thing is, um, I think we hired, right? We hired people, with the right mindset, you know, one, that mindset, the one I just described, but also people that uh, wanna be part of something they care about. And the, the thing we have with Deal is, um, I mean, I'm biased, but I think that the mission is, is very interesting to a lot of people, right? A lot of people that either come as, um, you know, first generation or second generation immigrants where their parents had to relocate to the US or to Canada for them to have opportunities, you know, the idea that, uh, they could you know not everybody wants that right but the idea that you could have had the same career if not more successful by staying at home and not having to like move yourself out of your home country is something that people value and people people understand so the mission and hiring the right people for that has been something that you know we've been very lucky with Uh, there's a couple other things but you know i think those are the two main things
0: (laughs) awesome and you know, you guys are valued at, you know, 5.5 billion, insane growth. You went from 1 million to a hundred mil ARR. I'm curious, like what was the main traction channel uh, for you to quickly hit that? Like you've got, you clearly got product market fit, but you said you come from a B2B background. Was it, was it cold outreach? Was it paid advertising? Like what really drove that level of scale?
1: So I came from a, no background because uh, I only built companies before and my first company was B2C. So it's, I think it's more B2B something. I, it's a bit more in my roots of who I am. Right. Uh, and it's just like this type of sales is, is just felt right. Right. That's that's what a bit more of what I meant. And I think I mean, there's a couple of things. Sho and I were pretty big on outreach at the very beginning of the company. Just the first customers, they matter so much. Right. They're the ones that help you shape the company. I don't think we did any paid marketing until like pretty late in the company. I think maybe like in twenty twenty one, like we that's when we started doing a bit more paid marketing, which works out decently well. I think early stage you can't really spend money like this, at least in this type of business. I think it's more about b d and just hardcore sales, hardcore outreach, and that's actually one of the thing I <clears throat> pitched at my Series A, the idea that you as a founder need to get the business to go from a sell, from founder led business into a sales, like sales team led business. And um, what that means is that for the majority of the first year plus of the company, Shu and I were doing most of the sales, right? And this is the only way for, I think, for a product and for a funding team to get to a point where things are ready for a proper sales organization to be built. Because if you, you're managing so many things and juggling so many things at the same time, if you're not able to sell your product, if and you're the one building it, and you're the one doing all the other things around it operationally, then, you know, it's gonna be very hard to bring someone that's not doing all of that and teach them, hey, go and sell, right? Like, so, so getting to a point where you nail down the basic mechanisms of your go-to-market, and maybe not, you know, the breakdown between outbound, inbound, and all that, but just, you know, the fact that you're able to take a deal from end to end, walk the product through, make sure people are happy with it, understand the key selling point, analyze what, with the right ICP and your pitch, right? Like doing that and nailing it repetitively shows that you can bring someone external to, you know, who you are and what the company is to come and make this a lot better than yourself, right? Like, and that's that that idea of going from founder led into Um, non-founder led, I guess, like sales team led was very important to us early stage. And when we got there, that's when we started really ramping things up. And I think today we do most of the things that you're talking about, right? Like outreach, paid, SEO and everything.
0: Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I, who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn, these are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. Usually there's a couple of stages that you go through from one to 100 million uh, you know, you, you, you know it's, it's kind of the founding team and then you start to build a leadership team and then you start to build your C-suite out and all these different things. How have you been able to navigate those challenges or, or that speed of growth while, while just basically fast-tracking a lot of like what takes some companies 5, 10, 15, 20 years to get to?
1: Well, first of all, I think growth is the solution to our problems. So, if you're growing really fast, everybody is willing to roll up their sleep and work hard to make things happen. So, the mentality of the team was very strong in getting stuff done and was very excited about the growth that we were getting. So when you have that, one, you're able to bring the best people on board, because when you look at the growth, you know, from one to like we did from one to fifty and then from fifty to hundred in a quarter, right? Like, when people look at that from the outside is they and given the mission of the company they want to jump on board and if you combine the fact that one through that you can hire the best people but also internally people are very excited and they see the growth of the company so they work they go the extra mile to make things work even more then you just find solutions right so instead of looking at it as like oh shit we have problems you look at it as like what do i do for this to work right how fast can i scale on top of that Early on, I think in in I think it was in May 2020, uh, our COO joined us, and he, you know his past experience is that he was very early at Revolut, which is a very you know it's a great company based in the UK. He had seen some of the fast growth, operational issues that were going to come from 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 it if we actually did execute on it, and we were able to build a lot of the processes early on that helped us not break right like basically when you get to product market fit and you get to that type of growth it's not about surviving while giving a great customer experience so the most you can build the most processes you can build the most operational excellence you can have inside of the company plus you know the big bonus that you get from so many people being excited about what's happening just helps you move faster right and i think you know of course it's easier to said and done but you should always strive for that and usually if you hire right, then you'll have the right people pushing you forward for it
0: and what about the challenges like talk to me like what were the challenges problems issues you faced at growth that speed
1: yeah i mean you know probably seen a lot of them (laughs) Uh, and we have challenges every day um i mean it's everything right like when you're growing that fast um like i said you need the right people and a couple of people just don't pace, right? And it's just not the right environment for them or the right timing in their life for it. So um, you know hiring mistakes are very costly, specifically when you grow as fast as we do. So that's one of the you know big challenge that we had where you know sometimes it it takes one person to make a significant difference at the company. and uh, yeah, definitely had a couple of wrong hires that uh, you know we should have been I should have been a little better on that front and hired a, you know be a bit more diligent in terms of the type of role that we were hiring and how that would have helped us. Uh, so that was definitely an interesting challenge for us, and obviously, you know, when you're building a company like this, it's always also hard to let go of people when you want to give them a chance and you want to see how it goes. But you know, what I've learned through time is that um, someone is not doing a good job; they usually know it, and it's probably not the best place for them either. So you're kind of doing them a favor a little bit too, and even, even if they might not realize it at the time. Um, <clears throat> second is, you know, it's uh, it's easy to it's easy to say you need to build for scale, doing it is a different story. Um, So if you look at like the infrastructure that you build, there is going to be a lot of things that you didn't plan for. And when you do that, you just need to be okay with the fact that what you have in place is just not perfect. Uh, And just being the same way we were with our customers, just being able to iterate really fast. So, I mean, there's a lot of challenges, not not gonna lie, but uh, you should always, as I mean, most founders are, I think are usually able to process this as a positive than a negative.
0: I want to talk about the big one. You know, you guys are processing and dealing with legal, tax, accounting across over 120 currencies, many different regions. What are the challenges there? And how have you scaled something that, like, that's sophisticated through that?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's tons, right? Um, Whether, like you said, like payments at scale or legal or you know, things as simple as like agreements review, right? People don't realize, but sometimes our customers look at our employment agreements and say, oh, but I wanna customize this and this and that for my employee, because I like to do that. And then, you know, what you end up doing is having to locally review the contract and make sure that the changes they wanna make actually works locally, which oftentimes it does not, right? Um, So, you know, there's not much you can do. And one of the decisions we made really early on is internalizing as much as we can. So traditionally, the type of businesses like uh, like ours um was using local agencies and stuff like that we decided we want to own as much as we can of the stack so our own entities our own legal teams our own payroll managers like bringing everything inside a deal so that not only we can give the best customer experience but also we can build product around the different profiles so they can do their job much more efficiently and it's much more automated so making like there's a couple of things here is building as many processes as you can from Entry point of a question or of something that needs to change all the way to the end, like measuring everything, tracking everything, having KPIs against everything, so that you know exactly how question, how things go from A to C. Plus, internalizing as much as you can within products so that you can automate the flow and you can always look for that percentage optimization, so that just the business goes faster, is one of the way to tackle like complex multi-party um, chains, right, of uh, problems that you might or that you might see or might arise.
0: Yeah, it's just for me, to be honest with you, Alex, so hard to envision doing these kinds of things in a couple of years at the scale that you guys have had and not just burning out. Like, talk to me how you've managed to be able to, do have you experienced burnout? Has there ever been just times where it's just so tough? Do you ever like, what's your sleep like? Like, this sounds like such a tough thing to pull off.
1: Uh, I mean, very candid, not really. Uh, I really like my job. (laughs) I really enjoy what I'm doing. And I think uh, luckily for me is that all that, what that growth usually means is that my job is continuously changing. So, you know, I'm just evolving a lot and I'm just having to deal with very, very different things from a quarter to another. That means that my job is always very exciting. So, you know, I'm, I'm just very thrilled for one, the people I work with are exceptional and I'm learning so much from them. And the second part is, um, I literally I know every quarter my job is going to be very different so it doesn't burn me out as much uh, I did take the a holiday in July for the first time in a long time so that that part definitely helped and definitely gave me some perspective where um, you know I do think that it, it does help but I think it depends on the stages of the business right like very early on it is a grind but the grind is what you sign up for and this is how you this is this is a I believe speed of execution and hard work is a moat in itself right if you don't have that then Sure, you might build a great company, but someone's gonna build a better company. Um, and you know, I think as the company evolves and as more processes are in place and as the company gets into a better place, then you should still strive to be the company that executes the best. But there's things that you know you can have more perspective on, right? As discussions happen to be a bit more strategic rather than just execution focus. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you need to, need to find the right balance for yourself. I, you know, we're a fully distributed company today, 1,300 people technically no offices, right? People work from wherever they want. And and that really does also help from a work-life balance perspective, right? Like you're able to build your work around your life. And, you know, that has really helped me where I'm able to do my best work in the setups that I need and really anywhere. Uh, And that really, you know, I think if, would I have been not burned out if I had, like would I have been burned out if I had spent my seven a.m. till twelve a.m. every day at an office, maybe for three and a half years. Uh, but the way I, the way we're doing it right now, even true, right, ha, I think has helped us um, manage ourselves better. And yeah, these hard times. But this is why you have a co-founder as well, you know, and you have a great, a great management team.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I appreciate your candor. Um, love to switch gears and talk about the journey of raising capital. Uh, can you share some key moments on that journey? Has it been easy with kind of growth that you guys have? Are people just knocking on your door and it's just pretty easy or, or is it is it still a challenge?
1: You know, my first business, I actually could not raise any capital. Um, so I've had, kind of had two falls, right? I've seen both sides of the coin. Um, my, my experience has showed me that the way you should raise money. At least, you know, everybody come from a different school. My way of raising money is to do everything I can, never to have to raise money. So, when you know, one of the things we do pretty famously at Deal is we have this saying of, you know, we spend like the round before. So what I mean by that is, when we raised our seed round um, about four and a half, four point two million dollars, we got to our Series A in March a year later. In that time frame, we had burned three hundred and seventy k. And that put us in such a good position when it came to, to our A, right? When investors came to us and said, hey, we want to invest in the company. You know, we were in a condition where we said, look, we're growing. We will need capital because we want to grow faster, but we don't need capital today. So that gives you kind of an edge in terms of how, you know, how you, who dictates the terms, right? And that's, I think, is the most important part in, in raising funding, right? And, and venture capital. If, if you're on the back foot, you're going to get eaten alive, right? Investors. Typically, it tends to be sharks, and you got to be a shark as well, right? So, my my experience has always been from not having been able to raise capital at all for my first business, is being as capital efficient as you can, so that you never truly need capital. And and that that mind shift, right? Sure, comes from so from the fact that deal grew as a company. So because it grew, and because we eventually got to product market fit. You know, it's easier to 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 say you know I can stay without capital for a long time. Uh, but getting into a place and in every single decision you make so that you're capital efficient enough that you have not only enough runway, but you have a path to potentially even profitability just will give you an edge in fundraising. And when you get there, you dictate the terms. And if you get there, then at least in my mind, you were able to do a small flip that really helped me uh, in how I raise capital, at least how I perceive fundraising, which is I'm not raising capital to get to somewhere else. I'm raising capital as us selling a part of the company and therefore what is the price at which we're willing to sell this part of the company and who are the people in front of me do I want them to be part of that journey and do I want them to you know it's a bit cocky-ish but like do I want to make them a lot of money right because I believe this is a great business and I believe this is going to be to go really far and when you flip that mindset then you're you're able to really do what's best for yourself and do what's best for the business. Um, And that's definitely, you know, very, very different than my first time where I just had this idea and I was just kind of going around asking people, do you want to invest in them? Like, it's a very hard way to fundraise money. And here for sure, you're going to get a, you know, 99 no's for hundred meetings. So if you flip the funnel a little bit, then I think you might be able to unlock a lot of that.
0: Mm, Love it. And I'm curious, just wanted to delve a little deeper on this idea where you said with your seed, you raised, you know, four, 4.2, but you only spent like 300K. How come you didn't spend that money? Like, like you, you could have. You could have definitely spent that money and hired more people, hired more engineers. Like, we all know that engineers ain't cheap and you want to make a better product. Why didn't you just keep spending that money or even spend half of it? Yeah, yeah. Um
1: expensive engineers are usually in the us and canada you can have great people at money that makes a bit more sense for a business if you hire globally uh so you know not at all a small plug for using deal but you should consider um look i think yeah there's different stage of companies and again you should be thinking long term right um the type of miss if one, with a Lintin, you can move really fast, right? Specifically, if you are able to build a culture where people are excited to build and ship things really fast. So, you know, by doing that, we were validating. And I was selling, remember? like and Shua was selling. So we were validating the market, validating our customers and building. Uh, could we have gone faster? Probably but we might have headed in the wrong direction if we had at the time, right? When we were very lean and very small. So focusing our efforts into what was the most important parts of the company was the key here. And and scaling at the right time is very important, right? There's there's time for everything. When we were building infrastructure, when we were understanding global compliance, when we were starting to draft our first, like localization of contracts and work with lawyers and building the payments infrastructure, adding 10 engineers at that time wouldn't have helped, right? Like it was about shaping the product to what customers wanted. When we started realizing, hey, you know, we could be also doing that and the business shows that it wants it. That's when you start really scaling. So um, yeah, we could have, but uh, I don't recommend.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. Um, Okay. That makes sense. We'll look, uh, have to work towards wrapping up. Then we'll move to the hot seat round. Uh, When you look back at your time building deal what do you hope your legacy is?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, DIL's mission and what we kind of set out to do is hopefully helps you know, hundreds of millions of people get to work for the best companies in the world. If we can kind of break that status quo where people stop thinking the same way I did, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go to the US because that's where I studied for my master's so that I can work for company X or Y. I, and, you know, struggled to get a visa and didn't really work out at the time in my personal experience we can break that cycle into, you can live your life, wherever you want. And if you've got the skills, the best companies in the world will want to work with you and you'll be able to get your dream job. Then, then we would have, you know, I think we would have built something. We would have built a legacy, right? If you stop thinking, if you start thinking rather, I'm going to do what I'm set out to do and I'll do, I'll work for whoever, wherever, then it's already changing a bit of uh, the world of work that as we know it today. So we would have done something great.
0: We're going to move to the hot seat round, rapid fire questions. Uh, the first one I have for you is if you could go back to your first day in business and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why?
1: Knowing that the company will get to where it is or not.
0: <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? What's
1: the best piece of advice I've ever been given? Focus on your customers.
0: What's something you've learned today?
1: I actually learned the difference between the
0: Schengen zone and the
1: European Union, as funny as this may sound.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, last question. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur dead or alive, who would it be and why?
1: Uh, Probably Bezos. I think he's built an amazing business. I think the upscale at which they operate is insane and the breadth of tools and companies and infrastructure that they've built is is one of a kind. So, uh, yeah, probably today that's the person I think I could learn the most from, from as a CEO, at least as a scaling a company perspective.
0: Incredible. Well, look, Alex, thank you so much for your time. This was an incredible interview. Like I said, big fan, love the product. And, uh, yeah, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview.